Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. How often do salespeople need to be trained? Most people would say, once during onboarding should do it. Not so, says Dan McLean, sales director at Connect and Sell. As today's guest on Market Dominance, guys, Dan talks with our host, Chris Beal, about the importance of periodically sharpening sales rep skills. In this second of their two-part conversation, these two sales guys, both amateur chefs, agree that knives work better when they've recently been sharpened. And sales reps work better when their sales skills have recently been sharpened. Dan reminds our podcast audience that, over time, all sales reps drift from their company's established message or their pace may become rushed, or their tone lackluster. For these very reasons, Connect and Sell's own reps go through a periodic blitz and coach cold calling session, an essential tool of Connect and Sell's flight school. Because as Dan says, we all need to get better. And because this essential advice bears repeating, that's what we've named today's Market Dominance Guys episode, we all need to get better. It's really easy to go hire someone. It's really hard to go buy Connect and Sell. Even when you put a mathematical equation in front of them saying, we could double the output of what you're doing and actually you'll spend less money. It's still hard. Yeah. It seems like a no-brainer. It seems like this would be such an easy job. Well, part of it also is this program is a little bit funny because Corey Frank came to me and said he wanted to get a book out on the market dominance. Well, a book on market dominance is fundamentally only interesting to owners of different kinds, whether an owner is an investor in a business or the owner is, is the owner or the owner is a CEO. CEOs are often pretty, I can tell you from experience, pretty aligned with their company. There's a problem called the agency problem, right? You have somebody else doing something for you, but they've got to look out for themselves. And so yeah, the question is, why, why wouldn't you include a VP of sales in that grouping of people that would be interested in market domination? Well, because here's the, the thing, a VP of sales, like our VP of sales, John T. McLaren, highly aligned, right? He's a big cash yeah. investor in the company. And uh, so it's easy, right? He owns enough of the company that he's naturally aligned. And this is true in certain kinds of startups where they're still in startup mode, so to speak or maybe the VP of sales is with the founder or they're a founder themselves and they got that ownership mentality. But I think we have a little bit of a vicious cycle going on where folks don't know quite how to drive organic growth. They're guessing, should we do ABM? Should we do this? Should we be prospecting hard on social media? Is it a prospecting problem or a closing problem? It's hard to tell, right? It's not obvious what you're going to do. And then how fast is it going to kick in? Right? If I, I say I got a seven-month sales cycle, eight-month sales cycle, so I've got 17 months of average tenure. So wait a minute. If I'm past month four, I'm down to the point where I got to start to see results somebody else cares about three months before I'm likely to get kicked out of here because I didn't produce the numbers. There's kind of a short-term attitude on the part of ownership often. I'll call it ownership regarding the sales function where they treat sales as an externality. Like sales is something you graft onto the company. And I've said it on this show, sales traditionally was used to dispose of inventory that factories created. 
dispose of it at sufficient profit to keep the lights on and maybe give you a net profit that you can use mm-hmm. in order to grow the, the business, right? That's how capitalism works. You put capital in to buy plant and equipment. You make stuff, the widgets are being made. Well, the widgets, the widgets must be sold. And what was the tradition? Put a rep in a territory, give them a quota, mm-hmm. give them a fair amount of autonomy. Right? There wasn't much management required. You know? And then yeah. if they work out, it's great. They get to keep the territory and maybe get a better territory. If it doesn't work out, you put another rep in. Hiring and meanwhile, them. you tell them more stories about how great you were back in the day. So you have something to do management-wise. So I think that that role doesn't make sense in the world of at least software. And the world is becoming software because you don't have widgets anymore. How many units of connect and sell software, and we even have people in the loop, get turned out yesterday that you and your team have got to dispose of at a profit? None. There's no units, right? We didn't make a bunch of widgets that are piled up in a warehouse somewhere. So I think sales was treated as an externality because it worked as an externality. Now we're asking sales to do a strategic job, which is to take us into markets like your first job, right? And the question is, well, is the alignment right? Is the long-term relationship there going into markets doesn't happen overnight. So I think we have some issues around kind of how the sales function is conceived of. And then we say, hey, you do your job with headcount. Marketing do their job with money and imagination. And I don't think that's right anymore either. That's my feel anyway. I think sales is the one who needs the money and the imagination. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Interesting. Yeah, it's the stuff that we think about it a lot, right? Because we're sort of on this spear tip of, what we believe, which is the conversation's first move the business. But I'm going to go to a success story that you and I experienced a little bit together and see what your thoughts are about it. This is an Israeli cybersecurity company selling to hospitals. And they have three SDRs. And some people think SDRs are great. Some people think SDRs are like, what do they do with SDRs? By the way, you probably enjoy the meetings that our SDRs set for you, right? I love them. And they're pretty good. You get you get good reviews. Uh, people tell you, "Hey, that Sal or Crystal or whoever." Yeah, quite often. Hey, the reason I took this meeting is they were persistent. They were professional. They just really handled the conversation nicely. Yeah, often that's a big part of it. So you get meetings there, but you're your own SDR, right? And you're a student of the game. You know, you're a student of the craft. I've been known to call you and mention that you may have drifted a little bit on a conversation and. You take it with curiosity right after you. Uh, I'll never forget that call. I was standing (laughs) right out there in my backyard, right by the palm tree when you called me and said that. I said, no, I'm not drifting. I've got this. I'm not drifting. You told me to go listen to a call. I went and listened to a call and I was like, ah, he was, he was right. Called you back, Chris. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) That was a, I thought that was an interesting conversation. I was driving across the Sierras with a, with a load of stuff from my house. I was moving to in Reno and I'm listening to this conversation. I'm going, is that Dan? That doesn't, that's like, sounds like somebody else. What is he saying? Why is he saying it? It was pretty interesting. Let's talk about that for a moment though, because it's really interesting. This whole, so here's this, this company that you were working with. And they had unusual SDR team, right? Their minimum age was, I don't know, 50-something? They looked like me. 
Just like, yeah, I'm older than you are. The, the oldest one was, I think, in the, uh, maybe pushing maybe, 70, maybe. Maybe low 70s, yeah. yeah. Low 70s. And they went to flight school. Now, these are highly, highly experienced people. And you were in the deal. I wasn't in the deal. I was just, I knew somebody at the company. So I was kind of peripherally associated with it. First of all, why would somebody with all that experience in your mind go to flight school? Why'd they do that? I mean, I know it's what we offered them, but they could have said, nah, let's not do that. And do you remember, just walk us through that. Like you've got these folks, they were good, right? They were converting it like- Yeah, they were good. They converted highly even on the test drive. And it was interesting because in that negotiation that we were looking at, okay, how are we going to use this? We thought- Looks like they were going to buy big. And then interestingly enough, they actually came back and they bought really small. But buying small just allowed us to come in and go through this flight school motion and show them the art of the possibility. And we took them from really good to great. And that's one of those customers where every week when I just log in and peek on what they're doing, puts a smile on my face. Yeah. And it's such a non-obvious play. We had somebody on the other day on the show, Jennifer Standish. And Jennifer makes the claim that, you know, that we should be hiring grandmas to be SDRs because they've got the voice and they know how to tell people what to do in a way that makes them do it, but not feel bad. That's kind of interesting when you think about that insistence close, right? The Cheryl Turner insistence close. It kind of has to do with telling somebody what to do and having to feel good about it. Yeah. So interesting. I've been leaning on you with some help, some different customers, and you keep telling that story. And then it got in my head and I kept thinking about it. And then I was doing some prospecting and it was a really interesting call because I actually, I got the guy at the right time because he said, I'm currently looking for sales amplification is what he said. Wow. We got that. That's what we do. And he goes, can you just send me something? So, cause I'm looking at all kinds, of, just send me something. So I tell you what, I'll send you half a page. And then also just, I'll go ahead and send you the, the calendar invite for Thursday and we'll move it if we have to. That's the Cheryl Turner insistent close. And the guy said, perfect. I'll give you 15 minutes. I said, great. That's all I need. And then after that call, I hung up the phone. I called you to tell you about that experience. And then based on your recommendation, I called and I was talking to Cheryl about it. And then, and then I went off and listened to some of her calls. And some of the stuff that she does, it's so subtle, but just there's so much, there's so much genius in, in what she's doing. Yeah, I think this is funny. You know, I have an analogy, you know, Corey and I have used on this. You're probably the only guy other than Corey who can speak to it, actually, because you actually can't get me up even on a stand-up paddleboard. My back is tight and it's hard yep. to do. You yep. surf. You're like a real surfer, right? But my claim is I used to watch a lot of surfing and, you know, I'm a physicist by background. So I kind of, I don't know, picture maybe a little bit of what's going on in that interaction between the, the water, the board and the, and the person right? Where, where they are, what they're doing, how they're moving and all that kind of stuff. And my claim is, and I, this is a hard claim, not a soft claim. This isn't a, I don't think this is a fluffy analogy is the best analogy I've been able to come up with is this in that ambush call that, that one and only, the only time you're ever going to talk to somebody for the first time, that script is like a surfboard. 
And your voice is the surfer. Your voice is where the artistry comes from. Mm-hmm. And what you feel when you're, and you can speak to this, and I want you to actually speak to it. Go, you know, tell us a little something about what it's like to surf and what it's like to surf big stuff, scary stuff, hard stuff, whatever it is you've done. But when you're doing something like surfing, you're feeling the world that you're in and you're feeling it millisecond by millisecond and you're Mm -hmm. adjusting to it and you're adjusting to it with a combination of balance and positioning, but it's it's things, you know, you know, you're doing, but you don't quite know exactly how you're doing them, but you know, you learn to do them kind of thing. Right. And I think that Cheryl Turner dance that she does with people where the words are the same, the surfboard's the same surfboard, but the conversation is always unique. Mm-hmm. It always has the voice in it. That the conversation is always unique because there's another thing that you have to bring into this analogy use, and that's the wave or the water itself. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back. It's always changing. Even if you surf the exact same place every day, and it's dictated by the sand underneath the water, because that's always moving. That's fluid. So every single day, the shape of the wave is going to be different. The speed is going to be different based on maybe some storm in Australia or Japan. So even at the same exact place, every single day, that's different. So just like the conversation or the person you're talking to is going to be different and you have to adjust. And then there, there are some things that are on autopilot, like as you're paddling into the wave where you put your hands on your board and you pop up. I don't think about that anymore. My body just does that. But what I'm doing is... I have to decide what angle I'm paddling into the wave based on the speed of it, the size of it, and the shape of it. And that's always different. And I know that I have to only look forward at what the wave's doing, because if you look behind you, it looks too big and scary. Oh, interesting. Then you'll paddle backwards (laughs) and get out of it. But when you're charging into it, it is, there's so many factors that are constantly changing. So it's not like skiing or snowboarding. I mean, the movements might be the same, but that medium that you're on, you can look ahead and you know what it is. Yeah. And it's only vast experience to know, to be able to look ahead and know what it's going to do. And what's interesting is it's different every day. Yeah, and you're a little different every day, too. So one of the points of of that, and I remember talking to Corey about it, I was trotting around, and I was was actually the day I saw that boat that I've got behind me. Mm. Uh, I was trotting around in in Sydney, Australia, and I was was on the phone with Corey, and we're talking about this surfboard surfer analogy, which now you've added the wave to. And one of my points is, look, if you're learning to surf, 
nobody throws you like an old door and says, make yourself a surfboard, right? I mean, it's the shaping of boards is, is an art and science that's come to us through, you know, what, 70, 80, 90 years of people having experience with the, the shapes, the materials, the thinning, all that kind of stuff, right? You'd yes, be a and fool it's still evolving today. Yeah, and you'd be an idiot as a young surfer to think you're going to reinvent making surfboards before you even know how to surf. And yet, we ask young SDRs to make their own scripts. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's crazy. I mean, do you think that's crazy? I think that's crazy town. (laughs) Why would you put the tip of the spear, the message that's going out about the company into someone's hands that's probably only been there X number of months. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, just, I mean, I'm willing to bet there are people who shape boards who are really, 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 really good at shaping boards, making a surfboard that really works well, who are not themselves the greatest surface in the world. True. They probably look like you or I. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more like you, because we, we get to me and we're way, we're, we're off the surfing category and we're into the yeah. can't stand up at the paddleboard category. But I think it's quite fascinating if this analogy, I think this is a, like a legit analogy. I think this analogy maps, as they say in the, in the world of math, one to one and on to every part of it maps to the other part it's supposed to map to, and you can reason from it. Right. And if you believe it, you would say, well, I would never have a rep make up their own script. I wouldn't do it because what are the odds they're going to make one based on 50, 60 years of experience across, not themselves, but I think of that board shaper, they're not just taking their own experience. They're taking the experience of everybody who's ever made a surfboard. Yeah. And they're putting it into the next one. Whereas when you get on that board on a wave, you're taking your experience, you're making it more subtle, more effective in time. You're a little quicker to do the thing that needs to be done to be the place you want to be to get the thing done that you want to do than you were a year ago, two years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it happens to be. They should not even be in that loop of communication. They should have it given to them and then they should be trained on it. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. If you want me to surf, you better give me a board. What's so interesting (laughs) is go on LinkedIn and look at this subject, there will be hundreds of different opinions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean the subject of should reps make up their own script? I know what the argument is for it. Well, they got to be comfortable. And you know what? People think that, but really they don't. No one cares about the, they shouldn't, or people do. Should you really care about their comfort or the comfort and experience of that person that they're talking to? Yeah. That's what's important. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before, if you're an SDR, and by the way, if you're an account executive and you're calling for yourself, like Dan does, you're an SDR at that point. You're just setting appointments for yourself, right? Yeah. You're not magically skilled in first conversations just because you're capable of closing multi-million dollar deals. That doesn't doesn't translate. It's like the fact that I can do all sorts of... I can load the car up, I can get all the gear in it, I can drive it to the beach, look at all my skills. Well... At some point, you're going to have to get on that damn board, right? Yeah, in a way. absolutely. And that's uncomfortable. So is having a script just put in your hand and told that what you're going to say. That's yeah. uncomfortable. I do things every day that, to me, feel uncomfortable. But I may be old enough to know 
it's not about me. And we always joke about this. Nobody cares about my feelings. Right? <laughs> you always say that about me, that I don't care about your feelings. That's I don't, but I care about your well-being. There we go. Yeah. And I get it. And it's awesome. It's, it's a funny thing. Well, for folks that are managing teams out there, and that's who you're mostly working with, is people who are managing teams. And you yep. see you see their struggles even once they have Connect and Sell in the hands of the team, right? And yep. you you have resources you can draw on. You can draw on, on Donnie Crawford and his team. You know, they're a conversation optimization folks, and they'll come in. I think we just did something today, right? Didn't we do something that was a flight school session? With a, we did. Oh, I actually had two going on today. One that uh, Gavin was running and then one with the transportation company that you've been helping me with. It was me and a newer, a newer to them director of business development, and he runs the team. And it was such an exciting day because we had made some tweaks to the messaging that simplified and that the reps actually felt good about. They felt good about. I felt good about it. We ran it, and in a very short amount of time, we had two meetings on the books. And what was even more exciting was I saw that sales leader turn the corner on. This was the first time he was critiquing the reps, telling them what to do. And it was it was one of those calls where I was actually dreading it because I didn't think it was going to go well. And four or five times during that call, I got the chills, the hair on my arm was standing up because it was exciting. And we were, he and I were in there together, figuring things out. And they left, everyone on that team, I think, left excited about what we were all doing together. This, That's quest, of mar- this quest of market domination. It was yeah. awesome. Well, I know that those guys are very, very serious about market dominance. They really are. And that's, yeah. you know, we, as we say, we curate dominance here at Connect and Sell. And it's such a delight. I mean, how many people get to say this in, in a sales job that you're doing something where as part of the job every once in a while, you know, the hair does stand up on your arms. You get those chills. I was talking to Elena Hess the other day and she was a, a, on the show and she said to me, first time we talked, she said, I have tears in my eyes. I said, I do too. You know, we're two grown people out here listening to these reps move forward in a way that's so exciting. They're having so much fun and they're doing so much business and it's right here in front of us. There is something about watching the world evolve at full speed right in front of your eyes. It's just kind of professionally unusual, I guess I'll put it right. It's like, who gets to have this kind of fun? Yeah, no, it's true. It was it was such a great day. And it was just one of those things that just invigorated me that will probably last a month. So I'm going to need another one of those sometime within the next <laughs> month. It was just awesome. More flight schools, more flight schools. Well, I have to say, you, you've been here a long time. What are your thoughts? You know, we some people kind of thought flight school was crazy. Like, why we're not in the training business, plenty of people out there to train reps. I always thought the ecosystem would take care of it. There's these incredibly strong trainers out there. What is it you think in in looking at Connect and Self Flight School, which for those of you who don't know what it is, it's a a four-session blitz and coach experience for a group of reps and their manager, live fire talking to real prospects where they're under pressure as a result. And yet the coaching is not of the whole conversation. The first two hours, we coach just the first seven seconds. And the second two hours, we coach just what we call the 27 seconds, the value part. 
And then the third two hours of coach, just what we call turbulence. That's why it's called flight school, takeoff, flying somewhere, plane mm-hmm. goes like this, you know, the objections that you only get in a cold call. And then the fourth sessions, how to get the meeting, how to ask for the meeting, landing the airplane, all we beforehand, we have this messaging workshop and a little kind of an icebreaker session. So that's what it is. I thought, I never thought we should have such a thing, mm-hmm. even though I'm the guy who came up with that sort of working with Janie Wall and James Townsend down in San yeah. Antonio at a customer. What, is it a big deal or is it to you or is it just another training thing? Or did you think it was a good idea when you first saw it? Or did you think like I did? It's like I came up with it, but I was still pretty skeptical about it. Like, yeah, what? well, like a lot of things at first, I was uncomfortable with it until I kind of experienced it. And then eventually we put our team through it. And guess what happened? We all got better. We all learned oh. stuff. You wait, wait, you guys, I remember this. We do this regularly. Like you went through flight school, but you guys have like five, six years, seven years of experience using Connect and Sell. Why would you need to go through flight school? Because what did it, no what did it matter, help you do different? No matter how good we are, A, we drift like we talked about, but you can always get better. It's about keeping that spear sharp. If, if we stop doing our blitz coach sessions on Monday and Friday, it would be easier for me. But you know what? Would I get that coaching? Would I get a chat with Gavin or Donnie or Nate? Hey, you're doing this. Try this. Hey, I heard something. Mm, yeah. So you and I both cook a little bit, maybe even a lot, right? We're having wild boar tonight just for you. Oh, fantastic. We're having pizzas. This has been a frustration for me. I can cook. I'm not a baker. And I have one of those pizza ovens. Uh, and I've been buying the crust at the store. And I'm having a problem getting the temperature of this pizza oven correctly because what's happening is the top of the pizza is burning before the crust is fixed. Mm-hmm. So actually a friend of mine is a restaurateur and they're actually sitting out there having some beers. And when I'm done, we're going to go cook some pizzas together. All right. Well, I hope it works out. Well, I'm going to make a point, a sharp edged point, which is we both spend a fair amount of time on occasion in the kitchen. I think I'm a pretty good hand with a knife taught mm-hmm. by an ex-Navy chef, worked in an aircraft carrier and, you know, a typical Navy chef. He didn't put up with any crap in the kitchen, right? Down to you're going to hold the knife, thumb and forefinger on the blade to stabilize the knife. You, you're mm-hmm. not just holding it by the handle like you're whipping a baseball bat around, all that kind of stuff. He taught me everything about that stuff. And yet still to this day, I'll take a knife out of the drawer. And I will lazily continue to use it when I know it's not sharp. Mm. I'll do that. I'll, I'll feel it. Like, my friend in Texas, he has a knife sharpening business. Anytime, <laughs> like if we're going on a week vacation, I send him my knives. Oh, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. So it's to me, it's like that. It's like a knife can look sharp without being sharp. Mm-hmm. And it's when you go to make that cut and a ripe tomato is probably the most telling cut, right? Absolutely. Because if your knife is sharp, it's, you feel it and you feel it in that first little motion, right? Because the knife is curved to allow you to move straight forward, but still be cutting down and you'll feel that little tug Mm -hmm. and you go, now the question is, what are you going to do? And I think that the way you guys get tuned up in flight school is a lot like that. You feel that little tug. And it's easy to be lazy and not sharp on the knife. Yeah. And it's so interesting because if you're not sharp, a lot of meetings will slip through your fingers. Yeah. I have that happen all the time. I'm like, I think I could have got a meeting with that person. 
that meeting that I got this week using the Cheryl Turner insistent close, I will be honest, part of it was just right person, right time. But part of it was the way I executed something. Look, that- it has to be a lot of it. Cheryl runs 30%. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not running does. 30%. I'm trying to get better. <clears throat> Listen to her on those industrial air compressors and those medical office buildings. It's I do. Crazy stuff. It is. But it does show it's an art form. Helen and I listened to Cheryl one day. We listened to a whole bunch of conversations. And Helen was thinking about actually cold calling the 100 VPs of one of her big monster companies Mm -hmm. that's part of her account base. Yeah. 100 VPs of HR. And she asked me, what is this cold calling really about? And I said, well, let's listen to Cheryl. And so we're listening to Cheryl, listening to Cheryl, listening to a bunch of conversations. And Helen, who's an acute observer of these things, she says, those micro pivots, same words, but that little pause, that little laugh, that moment of expressed empathy, that I'm with you, that expression of being a peer, always never being put back, but never pushing back either. She said, that stuff is amazing. She said, I didn't realize what you guys work with is an artistic medium. Yeah. And and it's truly an art form. And I actually think this is something I I have to say, if I could ask folks who are you know watching this, thinking or, or listening, thinking about it. Uh, we call the use of connect and sell learning how to call call. We call it finishing school for future CEOs. Yeah. Because the one thing you've got to be able to do to be good in the CEO job is hold conversations without a lot of prep with strangers that go better than they would have for somebody else who might not be able to make those little moves, have that feel, right? That the feel for the situation and be able to help somebody see something in a new way, which is kind of your main job as CEO, help people. It's the main job as a salesperson. They're very similar, similar jobs. Before you joined Connect and Sell, or no, before you used it for the first time, would you have said that you thought that cold calling or cold conversation was an art form? Or would you have said, yeah, it's just something you do? Or what would you have thought about it? Or did you, did you not think about it? I, I think at that time, knowing what I knew then, it would have been very easy to hop on the cold calling is dead bandwagon because then I wouldn't have to do it. And, and I could feel good about not doing it. Even, mm. even though if it's like exercise, you know you should. Yeah. It's hard to take that first step, but if you do, good things just might happen. What is funny too, because it's like exercise in that you're doing it for yourself. And yet folks will act like they're being told to do it for somebody else. You're really doing it for yourself. I mean, you really are doing it for yourself. I've looked at the numbers. Our numbers break down today, this quarter, the bulk of the dollars and the bulk of the deals have come from you guys, you account executives, being your own SDRs. And that's even though you have a world-class SDR team armed to the teeth with a high-performance weapon, using it all day long, setting meetings for y'all. But I have a funny feeling that when you set a meeting for yourself, that there's some subtlety in there somewhere that allows you to be a little bit better in that meeting. That you, you, killed, you killed that boar and now you're cooking it. And I yeah. think you're going you're gonna to cook it a little bit better. Absolutely. In fact, when I send out, when I schedule the meeting myself, when I send it out, I put a little asterisk in a certain spot in the invitation. So I know that's one that, that I schedule. And Ooh. yeah, I do. I, I come to it, I think, with a little more of everything, a little more excitement, a little more aggressiveness. I'm going to be sharper, clearer, because I know that 
this one I got. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. I think it's the most subtle thing. Let's wrap this up. Our audience is, we have people all, all up and down. We had SDRs who listen to market dominance guys because I guess they want to be CEOs and owners of businesses someday or chief revenue officers. God knows what they're going to be. And then we got people kind of like, you know, your Henry uh, Henry Wojtyla, who took his whole business part, put it back together after binge listening to the show for four days. We got a lot of, lot of folks. I know you're not a big advice giver. You probably don't give advice to people for a whole bunch of good reasons, most of which is you're kind of too humble to think what you're going to say is going to make a difference. But I want you to get out of that, that humble posture for a second and just give folks listening just one piece of advice from your career and it has something to do with what we've been talking about. What would you tell somebody if you just had it like you just had to tell them and then you got to go away? I would say, you know, kind of back to back to this whole notion of should the SDR say what's comfortable versus should you give them a script? Find out who's the most intelligent person in the room and listen to them. Usually that's someone with a C in their title. Usually. Yeah, that's interesting. On that, we're going to wrap this up. Dan McLean. You have been a marvelous guest on Market Dominance, guys. I think we're going on into episode 130-something at this point. Proud to have you on. Proud to be on your team. And excited, looking forward to what we're all going to do together. And I just think about those companies, those people you're helping, pulling the cork out of the innovation economy, letting value flow. And that's what makes a hair stand up on my arm. So thank you so much for being on the show and for being you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was a little nervous. This is my first podcast. I didn't know what I was getting into. I'd love to come back anytime. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible Whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.